Go ahead and remain standing because we're going to turn our attention to the Word of God. Myrna, a dear friend of Julian's, our dear sister in Christ, is going to read the Word from Isaiah chapter 9. I don't want him to go, so I hope I don't cry. (laughs) This is the Word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has the light shone. You have multiplied the nation you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm so grateful to have been a part of the great work which the Lord began in this church long before I came. And shortly after I came here, about 10 years ago, I met young Myrna and a debonair husband. And... uh, I lost my mother six years ago, and uh, I, they're my parents, really. I, I've adopted Myrna and Charlie as my parents. We've done a lot of things together, and in memory of our brother Charlie, it, it's an honor to just ask Myrna to read scriptures today, because if he were here, he would have been doing that. But he's beholding the face of the very word of God as we speak. I thank the Lord that today is Christmas, and what a fitting day it is, a worshipful day. It's a day for us, his people. And on that first Christmas day, as I think about it, what I, what I kind of grasp is that the surpassing riches and the immeasurable love of heaven collided with the darkest, most sinful, most rebellious on earth. And when that wondrous event occurred, what was set in motion is the greatest transformation that the universe will ever experience. Because of that event and subsequent events of that child, sinful humanity can become reconciled to a holy God. So today we look to the prophet Isaiah. And in our text in chapter 9, He prophetically compares and contrasts the immediate and the future with words that have a bearing in the moment 
That's what theologians call the now and not yet. That's the tension we feel as Christians. I'm leaving home to go home, and I will not get home before you. We will get home together. Amen? And so, Isaiah is able to carry his readers to the distant future, to the miraculous, and to the wonderful. His whole theme is is that Israel's hope is found in David's throne, and he's pointing a sinful people to a future event, and he's pointing us to a past event with future results and consequences. And he's speaking to those who find themselves in deep despair. And his message is simply this. Joy to the world. God's light has come. That's a unique title. God's light has come. Beginning in chapter 8, at the end of chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, he describes the situation that God's people found themselves. They were walking in darkness. And my friends, it's understandable if we were to shift our focus whenever we find ourselves in deep despair. What happened to Israel in chapter 8 was because of the onslaught of the Assyrian and the, and the, um, and the rebellion from the, from the southern kingdom, the people in the north began to lose hope and they, and they slipped into darkness. And like Israel in Isaiah's day, our tendency is to blame the Lord for all our troubles. These people looked up to heaven and blamed God for their predicament. And then they, they looked to the things of this world for its solution. They made treaties. Ahaz made a treaty with the king of Assyria. Didn't know that he was going to have his lunch eaten. These people were in deep, dark weeds. Like Israel, we will be driven into darkness, into ignorance, into rebellion, and into the unknown when we take our focus from the one who saves us and delivers us to anything else that is not of him. And this is a, this is a terrible state if we find ourselves in this predicament, if we were to find comfort and meaning in anything in this life, whether it's social whether it's economic or political or anything that is not Jesus. So Isaiah's audience in this text had been the first to suffer the full brunt of the Assyrian invasion. The 10 northern tribes were devastated and the vast majority of them were taken away captive, never to be heard of or from anymore. And their reaction to this judgment is found in chapter two and chapter three of Isaiah. The nation trusted in God, they thought, and God didn't deliver in a time and in a manner that they expected. So they resorted to their own superstitions. They resorted to their own worship. The story is distinctly told in 1 Kings 12 when Rehoboam, Solomon's rightful son, imposed the heavy taxation upon the 10 tribes in the north. A prophet had prophesied that Jeroboam, the leader of the northern tribes, would become king of all Israel. And because of this heavy taxation and this enmity that existed in Solomon's household between himself and Jeroboam, Jeroboam took 10 tribes with him across the Jordan. And they began to worship golden calves. And they sacrificed. They refused to go to Jerusalem 
to worship because he had figured that if I were to do that, I'd lose my influence over these people. I have the majority. And they touched the unclean thing. They became syncretistic. They became vile and offensive to God as the people of God. Walk in darkness means that they behaved in a manner that was unrighteous, that was evil, that was ignorant, that was rebellious. The truth is, my friends, we are no different from the people in Isaiah's day. Humanity is spiritually dead and alienated from God. The scripture tells us that men love darkness rather than light. All human beings have this problem called total depravity. We inherit it from our, from our progenitor, Adam. We're all sinners. And our, and, and our nature is to not choose God. We choose our own way. And because we choose our own way, consequently we choose darkness, confusion, ignorance. So Isaiah brings a message of joy and hope to this people, and he brings it to us today. He sum summarizes and he says, joy to the world, my friends. God's light has come. So there are two major things I want us to see in this text. In the first five verses, I want us to see that God's light reveals God's attitude towards his people. What will a faithful God do to a rebellious people, his rebellious children? The first thing we see in verse one of this text is that God's light brings healing. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He begins with the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. The two places where when, when the Assyrian king invaded, they were the first to go under. My friends, what I want us to see here is that the place of hurt always becomes the place of healing. God will heal you where it hurts most. God will heal you where, where you are most disappointed because he cares so much for you. That's his attitude toward his people. He will meet you in your deepest pain. God's light brings healing, it brings hope. By his grace, the light of God shone upon these people. And because of that, his people are becoming able to see the light and cease from walking in darkness. That's what Isaiah says in verse two. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Unless God takes the initiative, there isn't any one of us who could ever experience the great rescue that he brings. So he shines the light on us and we see the darkness and we see it for what it is. And we see our sin and we see our savior clearly. His light also brings unspeakable joy. Note the metaphors of harvest and victory in verse three. You've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. This is like getting a, a Christmas bonus and you expect it 5% and you get something like 25%. You go, yes! Last Thursday, I mean, we were so busy. I, I, I've been so busy just closing and opening and, and lifting and packing and doing stuff. And last Thursday, we signed and we closed on a house and I go, yes! And then two hours later, our fourth grandchild was born, and I said, yes, I had this feeling. It's, it's kind of like that. God says, his light will bring unspeakable joy. 
It's the kind of joy that Paul says it's, 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 it, it defines the very kingdom of God. It's the kind of joy that, that's, that the world can't give nor take away. And that joy will become your strength. God's life not only brings healing and hope and joy, but it brings freedom from bondage. Look at verse 5. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. As in the day of Midian. Isaiah is reminding God's people of the time in the Judges when Israel was being bombarded by the Midianites. They were so afraid of the Midianites that fearful Gideon is in the wine press hiding as he's threshing wheat. He's fearful and the angel shows up and says, oh mighty man of God. Him? This is not the Wizard of Oz. What Isaiah is showing God's people then and now is that God's light will accomplish this freedom from bondage through the most unlikely means. Later on in Gideon, we learned that he had 22,000 soldiers armed to the teeth. And God told him, no, that's too much. I only need 300. God, how are you going to deal with this, God? How are you going to deal with the Midianites? God, how are you going to deal with my problem when you keep taking things away from me, when you keep stripping me of all my strength and all my abilities and capabilities? How is it that we're going to work this out together, God? And then we hear the phrase, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so in verse 5, we see God's light burning up all of the enemy's battle attire. Look at it. For every root, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In Isaiah's day, God is saying, look, all the Assyrian hordes will be, all, they will be killed and, and their, 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 their paraphernalia will be burned up. Man, that's complete victory. That's annihilation. And this light will accomplish that. The threat of further war has ceased, has vanished, and is no more. So Isaiah tells the people then, and he tells us now, that because of God, you could rest now. You could rest in the fact that the battle is over and it will never come again. It's like the Exodus. They drowned in the Red Sea. They were not resurrected to terrorize the people of God again. God's light has completely triumphed, has completely removed all barriers that kept you from God's peace, God's shalom, God's wholeness. And and this is what Isaiah tells these people in, in these first five verses. He shows us God's attitude to them, and he shows them what God will do. Then beginning in verse six, he shows how God will accomplish this great feat. What I want us to see in these two verses is that God's light embodies God's power and his character. When Moses met the Lord in Exodus chapter 2, he met the God of the mountain. But in approaching him, he revealed himself as I am. And that's a verb. I am or I will be who I will be. And this light that's coming from God embodies all that God is, all that God will be, and all that God will do and can do. 
So how will he accomplish this great act for his people? It begins with the supernatural birth of a unique child. Scripture says, for to us a child is born, a son is given. A child is born, a son is given. There are two things I really want to just camp on for a few moments there. Remember, the people are living in darkness, and God is light. In him is no darkness. So how can you reconcile this conundrum? How could people in darkness find relationship and be reconciled to a God who is light? If it is a, if it is a human king, he will never be able to approach the light. This king must be more than human. This king must come from God who takes the initiative to shine light upon the darkness. And so a child is born. A unique child is born. And then secondly, a son is given. Now, this is God speaking through Isaiah. God is the, is the subject. He's the object and he's the subject. Isaiah is the mouthpiece of Yahweh. And Yahweh is saying, a son is given. Given by whom? Not by Isaiah. Not Topsy. Not somebody who just showed up. Jesus is not just a baby born in a manger. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God took the initiative, and he gave a son, a divine son. Ray Ortland Jr. says, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. Isaiah told them in chapter 7 and verse 14, the virgin's going to be a child, going to bear a child, Ahaz. Your problem is, is imminent, but your solution is 700 years in the making. God is saying to you today that he will give a child. He has given a child. Your problem may seem insurmountable, but the solution is found in this child. No other place. Otlin Jr. goes on to observe that God's answer to the bullies swaggering through history is not to become an even bigger bully. No. Assyria is a mighty army, and so is Babylon, so is the Medes and the Persians, and so were the Greeks and the Romans, and God never sent a bigger force. He sent, he sent a baby, like my grandson. He sent a little baby who needed feeding, nursing, who needed someone to clean him, meekness and majesty wrapped in one. That's how God fights, you know. God doesn't come with all of, all of the onslaught of heaven at his disposal. That's not fair. He gives you a chance to repent. And so he sends a baby. He sends a baby, one born of a virgin. He's human, but he's God. He's the God-man. And so this child, God's light, he manifests the fullness of the Godhead within himself. And so Isaiah gives him these names. He's a wonderful counselor. He has the best ideas and strategies. Listen to this child. He knows best. So this child will come and say one day, if someone slaps you on the left, turn to the right. And you know, no, Jesus, you can't do that because in school, if I were to, be, if I were to let him hit me, I'd get beat up every day. 
But Jesus knows what he's doing. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the best person you could ever talk to. You could take all your troubles to Jesus. Two o'clock in the morning, three, four, any hour of the day. And wonderful here means it's filled with awe. I mean, the queen of the south left her kingdom to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And a greater than Solomon is here. He offers a wisdom that is beyond your imagination. James says, if you lack this wisdom, ask him and he will give it to you. Because he's a wonderful counselor. He understands you. He made you. He knows your frame. Every part of you is hidden in him. He knows what you need. He knows every detail about you. That's why he doesn't give you what you want. He gives us what we need. Amen? He's a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He easily defeats his enemies. He's mighty God. So this, this, this child is a wonderful counselor. He's, he's mighty God. He, he, he's, he's the God of omnipotence. He's the God of all might. He's the God who destroyed all, King of Bashan and Sion. He's the God who destroyed and drowned Pharaoh's army. He's the God who destroyed Jericho. John says in 1 John 3 and 8 that Jesus Christ was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. He's the everlasting father. His love for his people is endless. David says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them who fear him. Why? Because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He doesn't beat us over the head. He comes to us. He's an everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He's the prince of shalom. It's not the absence of war. The war was over by the time, mighty God. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a no, no contest. It's over. It's finished. Done with. He's burned up all of their clothing. They, they don't even exist anymore. He, he's the Prince of Shalom. He reconciles us to God while we are enemies of God, and he brings us into a large place. He brings us into a state of blessing that the world cannot imagine. And he governs that. That's why the apostle can tell you in Christ, all of the promises of God are what? Yes and amen. That's why the psalmist could say, no good thing will I withhold from them who walk upright. And brothers and sisters, our walk is not predicated on our abilities. No, we've established that our walk is in the light. It's by the power of Christ. It's by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we have joy. And so God light, God's light fulfills the hope of those who walk in darkness. His light guarantees the freedom of all who are held captive to sin and darkness. God's light provides for those who suffer from the onslaughts of the spiritual forces that are at war against you and me. And, you, and then you ask yourself, preaching, how come you could read Isaiah and then jump automatically to Jesus? Well, you don't need to be a brain to, to figure this one out. You don't need to go to seminary to preach this text, okay? Because in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus comes out of the desert. He does battle with the enemy. And he, and he tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to Capernaum. 
And then Matthew writes, oh yeah, this was in fulfillment of the, of the prophecy in Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. So Matthew's done the work. Matthew says, Isaiah 9, Jesus. Nobody else. And so that's the good news today, this Christmas day. The good news for us is that the light has come. And in his coming to earth, Jesus embodies God's zeal toward his people. That's how he ends this passage. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God will accomplish all of this through his zeal. And, and what is this zeal? Maurier describes zeal as that jealousy which is a component of all true love and preeminently of God's love. All this zealous determination is that of the God of the Exodus, whose nature it is to save his people and to overthrow his enemies. Technically, what zeal, what, what, what he is describing here in, in Isaiah 9 is this picture of intense fervor, intense passion, and intense emotion. It's like the jealousy of a husband. One time, shortly after we had gotten married, when, I, when we first got married, my wife, you know, my wife is 5'10", and she was about 127 pounds, 5'10", 127. And her hair was black, you know, wasn't silver as it is today. And she was a looker. And we had a funeral, and, 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 I'm, and I'm doing something at the gravesite, and, and this guy is talking to my wife. And I mean, he's getting close to my wife, and you know, I, I, don't, I have a lot more melanin than you do, but listen, I was red-faced. And that's what zeal means. The kind of jealousy that turns you red. It's my wife. What? <laughs> Maybe you heard his father say it before. But here, here, here's what Isaiah is saying. The enemy is getting the best of God's people in Isaiah's day. And he's getting the best of God's people today. He's rattling your cage. He's making life such a horrible mess for you. And, and you swear you in darkness. You, you, you are certain that things are not going right. And what you don't understand is that the God who loves you, he loves you with an intense emotion. He is red in the face as he looks at what the enemy is seeking to do to you. He's so hot with jealousy that the enemy, if they could only see they would just leave you alone and let you go about your business. And that's what this zeal is. It is this eagerness and ardent interest, as well as God's energetic pursuit of you, his people, even though you may find yourself alienated from him. So a God who is so holy, who cannot be in darkness, who cannot dwell in darkness, because of his energetic jealousy and love for you, he, he sends himself, he rips out his very heart, and gives it to you. And that's what John says in chapter 1. He comes from the bosom of the Father. God so loved the world that he gave you Jesus. Because he's jealous of the way. He's jealous of the way the enemy is seeking to destroy you. And he's jealous for you. He wants you to worship nobody else. He wants you to worship him. And he's not going to curry your favor. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you so much that you will want to love him. You will want to serve him. You will want to worship him. Today, my friends, <clears throat> maybe darkness has invaded your life. Maybe you're wrestling today with the loss of a job or, 
or worse, the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're battling a debilitating disease. You just heard from the doctor and you got, you don't, you got some issues. Or maybe you're in the middle of a disturbing situation in your family, but things don't look too bright right now for you. Looks dark. My experiences have taught me that our problems tend to look far more horrible in the dark. I've been there. Why things really, things look big in the dark. Those monsters under the beds, man, they look big in the dark. But when you turn the light on, you notice that the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You realize that that thing that, that is causing you to be up all night It's not as big as you think. You realize that whatever is over your head is still under the feet of the great king who will make his enemies his footstool. So may you surrender to the one who is God's light today and let him reveal your sin and his grace. My brothers and sisters in Christ, you will find healing. You will find hope. You will find joy and comfort in his suffering, in his agony in the garden, in his rejection before Pilate, and in his death on the cross. You will find that. So on this Christmas day, I want to remind you simply this, that the unsurpassing riches and the immeasurable love of heaven collided with the darkest, most sinful, most rebellious of earth. And since that wondrous event has occurred, What has been set in motion is the greatest transformation that you and I will ever experience. And it begins with a simple journey of faith. Just surrender to the light. Step out of the darkness. May the Lord enable you to walk in his light all the days of your life. May you rejoice with all of the great work that he is doing all over this city, all over this nation, all over this world as he prospers you, as he blesses you, as he showers his kindness upon you because he does love you. In Jesus' name, amen.